0: Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Frank Pizor. So without further ado, here he is. Um, did you get up and kind of greet each other yet or no? Oh, you have. Okay, so we can't do that. It just feels like a little, we are all just sitting there and all looking at me like so serious. And, which is good. It's, good. it's good to be serious. And uh, since Pastor Dave has just prayed, uh, let's just hop right into it. I want to look again today at the idea of can we uh, wrestle with God? And I know the last time we raised the question, but we never really answered it because what we were dealing with is how do people respond to the extreme trials that they face in life and whether or not that is the Christian way or if there is another Christian way, which is what we came across. Now, I have to imagine here today, Uh, Unless you're a robot, you have encountered some form of grief in your life. And uh, I just thought of a few ways. You could probably think of more others, But I I have to think of, uh, if you're like me, you've lost both of your parents. Some of you have lost at least one parent, maybe a grandparent who is very important to you. And that loss causes great grief. Some of you here have probably lost children. And I don't know the statistics, but I know that when my wife had her miscarriage, they told us just like about every woman has some form of miscarriage in life, some more than others, and that's a loss. There's grief in in the midst of all of that. Some of you have lost a job that you just love. You love doing that job, and uh, layoffs came, or a tough economy, and, and you just lost it. Maybe just bad politics in the office, but whatever it is, you experienced that grief. Some of you? Uh, It's a pet. You've lost a pet, whether uh, it's a dog or a cat or a horse or or whatever it is, but that loss of that pet really affected you. Some of you have lost a love relationship that you really, really highly valued, but it fell apart. It left you experiencing grief. Some of us here have probably struggled through health issues, uh, diseases such as cancer. Some of us have experienced cancer, and even seeing that happen in some of our children, Here at Harvest, how much grief and a sense of loss that's there. And the loss that really is one of maybe the more difficult ones because it's more emotional than physical is the loss that you might have had or experienced as a child growing up in a home that was extremely dysfunctional, where there was abuse, whether it was verbal or physical or emotional or sexual. And the sense of grief that you have that you've lost something that you had no control over I think binds many of us, if not all of us together, that in some way, shape, or form, everyone here has experienced grief. And people look at us, and they want to see how is it that we, as people who follow Jesus, will actually respond to that loss and that grief that we have. Because the reality is that loss is inevitable, but grief expressed, not necessarily so. Here's what I mean. Some people feel that if you express your grief, you're weak. Like, what's wrong with you? Why can't you just know that God is in control? Why can't you just trust God? Why can't you just be in his presence and know that everything is going to turn out fine? And so when you share that grief, you're actually expressing weakness, and weakness is not a good thing. I'm saying the tongue-in-cheek, so don't walk away with that. But I'm just saying weakness is not a good thing, so you're not going to express your grief because you don't want people to see that you're weak. In fact, I'll be honest with you. As a parent, one of the things that I tell my kids is don't cry in front of people when they hurt you because what they'll do is they'll continue to badger you and badger you because they know that you're weak. Come on home and cry. Now, I'm not suggesting you do that with all grief, but if you know kids, kids are bullies, and when they find a weakness, they'll exploit it and beat it to death, right? And so when I tell my kids that, I'm not telling them don't express your grief. What I'm telling them is be careful where you express your grief because if people will continue to abuse you in that, don't express your grief in front of them. Come home and cry. Do it here. Do it at home. Do it where people love you and care for you. Other people uh, express, feel that if you express your grief, you're not like Paul. Uh, I, I like. I've never met Paul. I'm not that old, but I, I, I like Paul. But I struggle with Paul. I mean, I sit there when I think of Paul in the Philippian jail. Um, he gets beaten. Uh, he gets thrown in the worst part of the prison. He gets thrown in, in, in stocks, and after a couple hours, he starts singing hallelujah songs. And uh, to me, I'm not. Really, I look at that and I go, "Really? <laughs> How do you do that?" And uh, it's obviously something that is divine that's going on in Paul's life, because in mine, I'd be angry. I would be expressing to God the simple fact that, do you not understand that I am on a mission trip here? Do you not understand I am telling people about Jesus, your son? Do you not understand that we just cast a demon out of this woman, which is the whole problem because people are getting freaked out about that? Do you not understand we're doing great things for you here? And this is what I get? That would be me. So that's why I sit here and I, and I wonder, how does something like this happen? How does in the life of all of the things that we go through, that people can actually walk away and say that God is good all the time, all the time God is good, that he can be trusted, and that he even works all things together for good to those who love him? And then we talked about Job a little bit, right, with his tragedy of losing his children and all of his wealth, and and then ultimately his health. And what does he say each time? Praise the Lord. Thank God. God is good. We will worship him in the good and the bad, because this is who God is. And that's what I ultimately called the Christian way of expressing our grief, because we are told as Christians we should rise above all of our pain and our grief. God is good. God is greater than all of that. And that is all true. Don't misunderstand me. But when we say that the only way to express our grief is through worship and praise, I think we miss the fullness of what Scripture talks about, especially when it comes to grief and even lament. When was the last time you lamented about something? I mean, really grieved, broke down, cried, We felt anguish, angst over something that was wrong and you knew that was wrong or something in your life that was so heavy and so burdensome. You see, at least from my own understanding, in American Christianity, we have lost this sense of lament because we believe that we are more than conquerors, which is true. But I don't believe we understand fully what it means to actually wrestle with God which is why when we look at Job in the first two chapters, we go, man, that's a real ideal way. That's what God wants to bring us to, that place where we can worship him in any circumstance in which we find ourselves. But we got to chapter 3, and does anyone remember what chapter 3 was about? Just to kind of get you active and involved a little bit here. But does anyone remember? Hedging, you you want to share with us, right? Let Let me read your mind for a second here. Okay, what Hedgen is saying is when we got to chapter 3, okay, I really didn't read her mind, so don't freak out. Like if you're from another church, like, dude, this is freaky. I didn't read her mind. I'm just trying to get you awake. When we read chapter 3, what did Job say? After two chapters of hallelujah, praise God, we'll worship him no matter what. He gets to chapter 3, and he says, oh, that I was never born. Oh, that I were dead, because then I would be at peace. God, kill me. And when, when we're coming from this worshipful attitude and we get to this place of great despair that Job is in, now we see the real. And like we talked about last time, we used to, I used to think that Job was commended by God at the end of the story because of his response in chapters one and two. But the more I read Job, the more I realize that God commended Job. God said, good job, Job, not only because of chapter one and two, but also because of chapter 3 and all that followed with all the despair that he expressed. You see, God says to him, listen, it's not just one way to have faith, not one way to express your faith in the midst of extreme trial. Yes, Paul is unique, but we really don't know what Paul was like on the sidelines, right? We don't know the grief that he experienced after that experience. Sure, great ending, happy ending, and that's what we expect. But if you read Hebrews 11, you hear about prophets being sown in two, sawed in two. You hear about prophets being stoned. You hear about prophets dying. All of the apostles except John are said to have experienced excruciating death. So where's the victory? Where's the grief? Where's the loss? And so in the end, what I want us to see is that we can actually, like Job, wrestle with God in the midst of our extreme difficult situations. So as we look at this, If we could uh, put up on the screen, Job chapter 13, I want to read these verses for us. Here's what Job says. He's been uh, discussing with his friends the situation as to what's going on. And he says in Job 13, verses 3 and then verses 15 and 16, he says, But I desire to speak directly to the Almighty and to argue my case with God. Though he slay me, I will hope in him. I will surely defend my ways to his face. Indeed, this will turn out for my deliverance, for no godless person would dare come before him. Now again, understanding the context is important. For the previous chapters and the ones to follow, Job's friends have come to him in the midst of his pain. They have sat with him in a circle of grief for seven days in absolute silence. They're not saying anything. And then in chapter 3, like we pointed out, Job says, here is my difficult situation. I want to die. And his friends, instead of saying, brother, we hear you. This is difficult. This is hard. They start going, I know what your problem is, Job. You sinned. And it starts out with little stuff, and it gets to a place where they're just calling him a monster. And in the midst of all this, Job maintains his innocence. He says, I have done nothing wrong before God. He's in despair, and his friends come along with him. And then what do they do? Instead of encouraging and strengthening and comforting, they put him down. Now, let's paint a picture of this. Think of the the worst thing that you could think of happening to a person, a really difficult and extreme circumstance. And imagine that you have three friends, whether they come to your home or they come to the hospital or wherever they come, and you start pouring out your heart. I feel such great loss Um, whatever that loss is, without mentioning it, think in your mind that, imagine that. And then they turn to you and they go, you know, in the midst of all of this great loss, if I think I understand God correctly, and I think of in the midst of all of my proper theology, you have sinned. You did wrong. Now you're sitting there thinking, you know, what, like like if, if I can imagine as I have sometimes children of abuse and neglect, how do you turn to a grown child and say, well, I, I just wanted to let you know when you were like four or five years old and you experienced that abuse, uh, you know, it must be your sin. Now imagine that for a minute. Imagine saying that to someone. Imagine someone losing someone close to them and say, oh, the reason they died was because of their sin. How would you feel? Just take about 10 seconds and, and absorb that sort of thing. If, if you've experienced some form of even abuse, to have somebody come alongside of you and say, hey, you know, it's your sin. Absorb that. And then you begin to understand who Job is. His despair is even greater. His comforters become his condemners. And they make it worse. And so Job says, you know what? <laughs> it's kind of like in 13, I don't even want to listen to you guys anymore. Here's what I want to do. I desire to speak directly to the Almighty. I want to argue my case I will surely defend my ways to his face. What does that mean if you think about it? In an Old Testament way, the way you look at it is what God had said was, no person who sees my face shall live. In other words, in a sense, Job, in his great despair, his great grief, says, you know what, I don't care if I die. I just want to see God and ask why. I am innocent. I've done nothing wrong. I want to speak directly to him. I want to argue my case. I will defend my ways. When Isaiah saw God, he trembled in fear. When John saw the resurrected Christ in Revelation, he fell down as though dead. And so what Job is asking is, Listen, God, I want an audience. I want to know why. And he's wrestling with God because he's torn. He knows who he believes God is. He believes that God is a sovereign God. He believes that God is a God of love. He believes that God is a redeemer. But he looks at his situation and he says, God, this doesn't make sense to me. Why must I suffer the loss of all of my children? Why must I suffer the loss of all of my wealth when I tried so hard to do what you asked me to do and I tried so hard to follow you? It doesn't make sense. Job's request is a bold request. How many of you like here paying taxes? Oh, come on, there has to be somebody here who likes to pay taxes. Higher taxes? Could you imagine in the midst of your frustration with all the taxes you said, and you go, listen, I demand to see the president. So you drive all the way to Washington, D.C., you get to Pennsylvania Avenue, you go up to the security, and you say, I do not like the fact that I am paying taxes, and so now I demand to see the president right now. What would you think? Uh, Some of you are smiling because you think that person's crazy. Who would do something like that? That's what Job is doing. He's approaching the God of the universe, and he's saying, God, this does not make sense to me to lose everything. No reason why, and I tried so hard to follow you in each and every way that I could. How could he not say I desire to speak directly to the Almighty? I want to argue my case with God. I will defend my ways to his faith, because Job is saying, I just want to know why. I just want to know why. I don't know, this. The, the weird part of me says, have you ever had somebody break up with you like, through text or a letter or something like that? And you get that, and you, re- you really love this person, and they say, you know, we're not meant for each other. And the great one is, it's either God told me we can't be together, or it's not you, it's me, right? Which really means it's you, but I don't want to like, make it worse. But could you, ima- could you imagine that? And if this, if it hasn't happened, if it, if it does, it's, it's just like it's heartbreaking, and you want to know why, really why? How can I, how can I change? How can I do better? Because this relationship matters to me, and that's what Job is saying. My, my, my everything was tied into you, God, and now it's all gone. I just want to know why. And so he's wrestling with God now. In the first two chapters there's no wrestling but he's wrestling he's saying god why he's he, he's not shaking his fist and even if he was god would be prepared for that but he's just saying please tell me what is going on he's not arrogant he's not rude Even here when he says, though he slay me, I will hope in him. What he's saying is, you know what, I just want to know why, and God, I am willing to just be in your presence, have you tell me why, and then take my life. That's fine, but I just want to know why. The unfortunate thing is, even when you get to the end of Job, he never knows why. Ultimately, Job will say, listen, I have wrestled with God. I trust that God is sovereign. You see, the wrestling that Job is doing with God is an expression of faith. Where do I get from that? Look at the last part here. For He says, for no godless person would dare come before him. What's he saying? What's he saying is, I have faith. I trust you, God. I know that you love me. I know that. And so I know that I can come. There's almost like even the book of Job is an invitation from God to his people to say, come in your extreme pain, come and wrestle with me. Let's work through this. It's an expression of faith. Job is not lacking in faith. He's expressing his faith. He throughout all of Job is saying, I am innocent, but I still trust God. I know my Redeemer Lives. I still hope in him. I trust him. He is sovereign. It's all through the book of Job even. And so what we have is, is Job is turning to God as a comforter in the midst of his extremely difficult trials because he still has faith. He is not turning away and saying, God, no more, no longer, nothing to do with you, which personally If I were in his situation, I would find easy to do. (coughs) But Job is different as he expresses his faith. He says, God, let us wrestle through this. Let us work through this. I am grieving. I'm in pain. It hurts so much. I want to die. But if I'm going to die, let it be wasted on me standing before you and at least finding out the reasons for what has happened in my life. When you go through a difficult situation, do you like to go through that difficult situation alone? Or would you prefer to walk with other people who care and comfort you in the midst of that? Let's just take a quick survey. How many of you love to suffer alone? You love to be in your room crying, weeping, horrible. Anybody? Howie's just about to raise his hand. Glad for staying awake during the sermon so far. But anybody? Nobody? Nobody likes to. There might be a few anomalies because they... They show weakness, not good, right? But I think anyone would want someone to come alongside of them and love them. Let me ask you a question. Who better than God? That's Job's opinion. Who better than God? I'm listening to my friends who have this theology that if you do good things, you get good things. If you do bad things, you get bad things. You know what I mean? Like you do something wrong, you're going to suffer. Ha ha ha, but too bad, that's the way theology is. You do good things. Like we do that, right? How many of us are religious enough to do that? I am. I know I am. I struggle with that all the time. Like if something goes wrong, okay, God, what did I do wrong that was sin? What's the problem here? Or if I do something good, I expect God to give me all the green lights or the good parking spot or enough miraculous money to pay a bill that I couldn't afford or something like that and feel like I deserve it, God, because I've done good. Right? Do you see that, right? Those are his friends. They're not very comforting. And again, not comforters, but condemners. So who, why not go to the person who loves you unconditionally? I mean, if we really fundamentally thought about that, if you knew that someone loved you, cared for you, would walk with you through whatever it is that you're going to, and you said, yeah, that person, and then you don't go to them, what would we think? Foolishness. But Job is not foolish. He is full of faith, and he says, I will come to you. Almighty God, you're the one who's in control. You know what happened. You saw it happen. You could have done something. Either way, I still trust you, but I just want to know why. Why did this happen? You see, Job, throughout the whole book of Job, expresses the ideal. In the midst of your most difficult and extreme instances of suffering, God is good. God can be trusted, and that might turn out for good as well. That's the ideal. That's the place that God wants to get us to. But the real is you've got to wrestle to get there. You just don't experience grief and loss and bam, at the snap of the finger, you're there. If that happens, that is a divine blessing. But I think for the rest of us, the most of us, it's a struggle, it's a grind to get to that place. And sometimes it takes years. If you remember, last time I shared with you some of the people who have lost children and how 19 years later, uh, that woman that I know um, still grieves over the loss of her daughter. How my parents for years grieved the loss of my brother. How my siblings still grieve that loss. It takes time to get there. Does that mean that they lack faith? No, it means they're still wrestling with God. God, through Job, is inviting us to come and wrestle. Come and wrestle to get to the ideal. But it's through the real that we work together and begin to understand how much God is really with us. Now, Job is not the only person to argue with God. So I just want to throw a a few of them out here for you. Jeremiah, listen to his words. He says, you deceived me, Lord, and I was deceived. You overpowered me and prevailed. I am ridiculed all day long. Everyone mocks you. In other words, the words of Jeremiah is, God, you told me I'm going to build up. Kind of missed the part where you're uproot. But I feel lied to. Have you ever been disappointed with God and just said, God, I feel lied to? I, 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 one of the reasons I understand that a lot of youth, when they go to college, fall away is because when you're in Youth group, you hear how much God loves you, how much he cares for you, how much he'll walk with you, and then life happens. And there's disappointment because God doesn't seem to be there. And you have to take it by faith that he is. And we struggle through that. And I'm not mocking faith, but the struggle there then that they have is what? I feel lied to because you told me love. You told me joy. You told me peace. These are all mine, but I don't feel any right now because I'm experiencing such grief. Grief. Jeremiah felt lied to. The psalmist in Psalm 88, if you ever read it, there is no praise of God the whole psalm. He says things like, in very strong language, God, you have forsaken me. God, you are so far away from me. I I cry out in anguish. There is no rest for me. Moses, in Numbers, after the people were complaining about food, he says this, Why have you been so hard on me, your servant? Why have I not found favor in your sight? Why have you laid the burden of all of these people on me? Was it I who conceived all these people? Was it I who brought them forth? That you should say to me, carry them in your bosom as a nurse carries a nursing infant to the land which you swore to their fathers. Where am I to get meat to give all these people? They weep before me saying, give us meat that we may eat. I alone am not able to carry all of this because it is too burdensome for me. And this is what he says. how he finishes If I have found favor in your sight, do not let me see my wretchedness. Kill me at once. This is Moses, the man of faith, leading the people to the promised land. In the midst of this says, kill me, God. Elijah, after his experience of of defeating all the prophets on the run, says, God, kill me. What's wrong with these people? Nothing. Nothing. There's absolutely nothing wrong with Elijah and Moses and the psalmist and Jeremiah. They are wrestling with God in the midst of their extremely difficult situations. I don't know how anyone doesn't wrestle with God and say, why? What's going on here? And I think until we really finally understand it, we come to Jesus. Jesus wrestled with God, did he not? Three times in the garden, he said, not my will, but yours. Three times. How many of you as parents love to tell your kids something three times? Right? Wouldn't you like to just say, you know what, pick up your clothes. And the kid goes, hallelujah, I'd love to pick up my clothes and keep my room clean. And is there anything else I can do in the house? My kids are like that. Any else? Okay, I lied. All right, so what? But, but you You understand what I'm saying? Three times Jesus is wrestling with his father and saying this separation I'm about to experience is causing me great grief and a sense of loss. And there is a wrestling. But in the wrestling, Jesus surrenders himself to his father and says, your will be done. But there was a wrestling going on. And so, our question is, can we wrestle with God? And the answer is, yes, we can. And the question is, is that an expression of a lack of faith? And the answer is, no, it is not. It is an expression of faith, it is a wrestling through that. It is saying, God, I know who you are, I know what you are like, I know what you do, and right now, this doesn't make sense to me. This is hard, this is difficult. But I'm going to trust you. And it's going to be a journey. And it's going to be a long, long journey. This is how it ends for Job. Uh, I think I have the verses up there. If you could put me up there, James. After the Lord had said these things to Job, he said to Eliphaz the Temanite, I am angry with you and your two friends. Why? Because you have not spoken the truth about me. You lied. You lied. I'm not the kind of put-you-in-a-box God who, if you do good, you get good. If you do bad, you get bad. It's not like that. I am angry with you. You have not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has. Wait a minute. Job is the guy that wants to die. Job is the one who, in his is, uh, despair, is demanding to see you. And yet God still commends him twice. You have not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has. So let me land the plane here. Quite simply, I am convinced, and I could be wrong, maybe we'll get to heaven and God and Job will straighten me out if Job's a person and this isn't a parable, and they'll say, bro, you were wrong. But I am convinced that Job is an invitation to those who follow God to come and wrestle through God, wrestle with God through your extreme trials, an invitation I think the example of Jeremiah is an invitation to wrestle with God. The psalmist in psalm 88 is an invitation to wrestle with God without having to raise a hallelujah at all in one whole song. I think it 's an invitation to realize, like Moses or like Elijah. Even when you are at your greatest amount of despair, even when you're at the point when you really want to die, you can still wrestle with God because God's love is not based on the fact that you are wrestling with him. He does not say to you, how dare you wrestle with me? Just surrender and submit and give it over and it's all good. This, I think, Scripture throughout all of Scripture is an invitation by God to come, just come. I, I picked up a book, said, May I Hate God? And I said, I had to read this book because, you know, here's a, what a question. May I hate God? And it's from a Christian perspective. And what this person is saying is that there are times in our disappointment, there are people, believe it or not, who are so angry and full of hatred towards what has happened in their lives. The invitation is, come to God. Because he does Love you, And he does understand. I'm not encouraging hatred of God. I'm just saying that God's love is so much larger than we can think and imagine that even in our anger, even in our disappointment, even in our wrestling, he says, come. We can wrestle with God. And it is an expression of faith, not a lack of faith. So let me give us a few things that we can do. If you could do the last slide for me, James. <clears throat> Here's how I want to apply this as we land the plane. I would encourage you to examine your grief and name it in prayer with trust. I'm, I'm going to actually encourage people to start lamenting, which is the second one, write a lament. And, and, and bringing the two together, let's just name it. If you have anger towards God, it's not like God says, I didn't know that. I'm surprised. He knows. Name it. And name it clearly. God, I'm angry because. Boom, 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 boom. And then say, I am here. Let us wrestle together to get through this because this is difficult. Imagine right now losing a loved one in your life And just accepting it, as that's what life is. That, to me, seems unique, if you can get to that place. But in many ways, wrong, because it really doesn't do or deal with grief. I cannot imagine what it would be like to lose my wife, or even one of my children, to lose all ten of them in one day. How can you not wrestle with God? So name it. Just say, this is what it is, God. God. And come to him and wrestle with him through it. Write a lament. Now, I'm not going to go through it, uh, writing a lament. is. If you want to know, read the sermon recap. I will put that in there. So now at least you'll read the email. Because I know when, I, when you get that from me, all of you open it, right? Y'all read the recap? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, it's from him. Delete. Okay, but I will put in there on how to write a lament. I think that you will find that to be an exercise that will be helpful. But I want to finish with this for the church as a whole. We need to learn how to be listeners and caregivers. I'm going to guess in this church, there are a lot of people with a lot of deeply rooted grief that has never been expressed because it is too painful or there is the fear of being judged. Learn how to be a listener and a caregiver. Learn how to get the perspective that God has is that I will come alongside of you no matter what in the midst of all of your muck and your junk and your feelings, whatever they might be. I am here with you. I am here with you and I care because that's what God wants to do. And if we can be his hands and his feet to those who in this world have experienced such horrendous events but have never been able to, to express the grief of that, a ministry we have for sure, a ministry of healing and help and hope. Let's pray. I think the pastor in me suddenly wants to start talking again. I'm actually going to ask us, can we just take two minutes of silent and quiet reflection? Not necessarily on the words that I have said, but on the hope that God has spoken to your heart about a grief that you may have never expressed or a loss that you feel the pangs of despair with and have never found healing in. And I'm not asking you to dwell on that to make it worse because for some of us, such horrific actions are hard to reflect on. Instead, I want to encourage you, open your hands in a tactile way Say, God, here's my offering. Here's my hurt. Why? Heal me. Ask the question, why? Wrestle with it, and then heal me. So let's take about 90 seconds since I already took more than. Holy Spirit, the one who comes alongside of us, the one who comforts us, the one who lives within us, I just ask that with all the pain in this room, that you will bring healing. I pray that we will be a a people who join you in that work of bringing healing. Trauma that exists here. The many forms of abuse that people have experienced. The great sense of loss over a loved one or something that's so loved in our lives if we just would name it, would recognize how raw it still can be without your healing presence. And so I pray, Holy Spirit, do whatever needs to be done, but teach us truly how to grieve. Teach us how to really lament, to really pour out our hearts, to cry out to you in our, in our despair And whether you answer or not, touch our hearts with your presence and your love. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.